It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network. This is Anne Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. If you want to experience God, you must choose Him at all costs. You must be willing to do as Peter did in Matthew 14. Step out of the boat. Risk total failure in the eyes of others. Discover firsthand His power enabling you to walk on the water when Jesus bids you come. Again and again, I've been confronted with hard choices when I've had to throw caution to the wind and abandon myself to faith in him and him alone. When I step into a pulpit, when I begin to write, when I commit this ministry to much more than we have resources to underwrite, whenever I choose to step out in obedient faith and trust him, I'm actually choosing to take him at his word. Listen to me. Put him to the test. Obey whatever he says. Do it. The result will be the thrilling adventure we call the Christian life. This is Anne Graham Lodge. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 years old, and I work at a graphic design company, which is funny because I couldn't even draw a stick figure when I was a kid. But I met someone who told me, you know what? You can do anything if you really want to. And if the teenage me were here, she'd tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for big brothers, big sisters. Most kids from my neighborhood don't get into art. They get into trouble. But I was lucky because my big sister showed me early on that I didn't have to be like most people. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this eight-year-old grew up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. And that can last a lifetime. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and the Ad Council. Our morning scripture is coming from Psalms 8 and 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory about the heavens. One scripture for the, for the morning, Psalms 8 and 1, the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Productions on Jam Radio 2.1.
I believe that Christ's command that we serve the poor is reason enough to struggle on behalf of those without enough to eat. But there's another powerful reason to extend the fight against hunger and extreme poverty. Very simply, we know great progress can be made, and this should inspire us to increase our efforts. That's President Jimmy Carter, and today he brings you a powerful message as the capstone to our series on faith and global hunger. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. marks our 65th year of inspiring weekly broadcasts. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce today's very special speaker. Thank you, Sherry. We are indeed honored today to bring you this special capstone to our Faith and Global Hunger series in support of the Millennium Development Goals. This past June and July, we presented messages from four church leaders speaking on God's call to serve the poor and hungry around the world. Hodding Carter, Barbara Lundblad, David Beckman, and Bishop Michael Curry informed and inspired us to take action. Today we are privileged to have with us President Jimmy Carter, who is celebrated internationally for his humanitarian efforts and who has been vocal about the importance of faith and its impetus to serve the poor. A former governor of Georgia, he served as the nation's 39th president from 1977 to 1981. In 1982, he founded the Carter Center in Atlanta to wage peace, fight disease, and build hope. And in 2002, he received the Nobel Peace Prize. The author of two dozen books, President Carter is also recognized for his service as Sunday school teacher at the Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia. His message today is entitled, A Joyful Resolve, Transforming the Lives of the World's Poorest. And now from the Carter Center in Atlanta, President Jimmy Carter. As a Christian, I'm happy to discuss my faith in relation to the great challenge of global hunger. I believe that Christ's command that we serve the poor is reason enough to struggle on behalf of those without enough to eat. But there's another powerful reason to extend the fight against hunger and extreme poverty. Very simply, we know great progress can be made, and this should inspire us to increase our efforts. I was nurtured as a Southern Baptist, and I have taught Bible lessons throughout my life including today at Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia, where my wife and I are both deacons. Yet I long have believed that equally devout Christians could pursue different worship and organizational customs and still practice our faith in harmony. All people of faith who take the Bible seriously, both the New Testament and the Hebrew text, very much agree that God's heart is with the poor and the vulnerable. Jesus proclaimed at the beginnings of his earthly ministry, that he had come to bring good news to the poor. The Bible includes several thousand verses on the poor and on God's response to injustice. We Christians are acquainted, of course, with the familiar biblical parables, the outcast Lazarus, destitute and longing for crumbs from the rich man's table, and covered with sores, who is nonetheless embraced in the bosom of Abraham. That's in Luke 16, 19-31. In the four Gospels, we were reminded five times how Jesus fed the hungry crowd with loaves and fish. And from Matthew, 
receive an essential lesson from the day of judgment. Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, Jesus said, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. God calls to all of us, rich and poor alike. Recognizing the suffering of the poor and the encumbrances of wealth, Jesus has said, Come unto me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. In the Old Testament, in five short sentences from Isaiah, carefully joined together, God speaks to all. And I quote again, I have chosen you. I have called you by name. You are precious in my sight. You are mine. I love you. In these and other ways, the Bible reveals how central the demand for justice for the poor and the oppressed is to the very nature of God. When Jesus himself observed that the poor will always be among us, it was not to excuse indifference to the poor, but to emphasize that our faith finds its full meaning only in the unceasing commitment to justice. We live in a world of nearly 7 billion people, more than 2 billion of them are Christians the greatest number of them living in the global south. Thus, in sprawling slums and isolated rural villages, one finds tens of millions of Christians among the world's poorest people. I point this out because although every person is a child of God, sometimes we Christians with rich blessings forget that the struggle to help the world's poor also is an effort to improve the lives of our fellow Christians. They number among the most vulnerable who suffer from hunger, disease, and illiteracy. They're among the one billion who go to bed hungry each night and who lack access to safe water. They, too, are denied the necessities and opportunities essential to shape productive, dignified lives. But we must not confuse God's demand for justice with a simple call to charity. Tangible factions by individuals and global commitments by nations are required to ensure justice and human rights for the least advantaged among us. And these commitments can reap results. Ten years ago, leaders of 189 countries met at the United Nations to sign the Millennium Declaration, an unprecedented global agreement to take concrete steps to lift human beings above the abject dehumanizing condition of extreme poverty and strengthen the foundations for development of all people by securing rights to education, food, and access to health care, among other bases. From that grew the Millennium Development Goals, or MDGs, as they are known, including the important goal to have hunger by 2015. Since these goals were set, we have reduced the portion of the developing world's population living in extreme poverty, those often burdened by hunger and malnutrition, from about half in 1990 to about one quarter today. Even in Africa, where the threat of food insecurity may be the most persistent, people have shown that when they are empowered with the right tools and knowledge, they can dramatically transform their own lives. More than 24 years ago, through the Carter Center, I began working with the late Dr. Norman Borlaug on improving agriculture in 15 sub-Saharan African countries. At the time, famine ravaged the continent and we focused on connecting local agronomists with farmers 
so that scientific advances could be brought to the fields more readily. Farming techniques could be improved, and post-harvest practices could extend the reach of food. The end result has been more than 8 million small-scale farmers, all of whom live in countries at risk for famine or malnutrition, have doubled or even tripled their crop yields. This is just one example of how some of the world's poorest people, with a comparatively small amount of help from their wealthy neighbors, are getting a better chance at meeting their most basic human needs and realizing their true potential. The Millennium Development Goals target poverty, hunger, and disease, while encouraging universal primary education and fairness for women and girls. They are backed by global consensus and have the strong support of all the world's major religious groups. Some have referred to the Millennium Development Goals as a Marshall Plan for the world's poor. Just as the Marshall Plan restored hope and opportunity to a war-shattered Europe after World War II, today the MDGs offer the same hope and opportunity to the least among us. The MDG program is achieving strong results. The effort rests on knowledge we already possess and relies on proven, effective implementation strategies. In these ways, the goals represent a sharp break from failed development approaches of the past. You may ask, how can I help? How can I join my passion and energy with this amazing work? One effective step you can take is to express your support of the Millennium Development Goals in a short letter to your member of Congress. A special day one website, hunger.dayone.org, includes a sample letter and many resources. You might also wish to visit the website of organizations, including In Poverty 2015, or Bread for the World, or the Micro Challenge. Share what you learned with family and friends. In 2002, when I accepted the Nobel Peace Prize, I ended my address with these words, and I quote, the bond of common humanity is stronger than the divisiveness of our fears and prejudices. God gives us the capacity for choice. We can choose to alleviate suffering. We can choose to work together for peace. We can make these changes, and we must. When we confront the scale of human need and know that we have the tools to make a difference, our obligation to do justice is all the more clear. We should feel a joyful resolve to press ahead. I have never been more optimistic about our ability to lift up our brothers and sisters and to change the world at long last. Now, President Jimmy Carter talks with our host, Peter Wallace, about his life, his faith, and the lessons he's learned about helping the world's poor. Mr. President, how has your faith motivated your life of public service, both as a politician and as a humanitarian? Well, I don't really see any incompatibility between the principles of a democratic nation based on freedom and human rights and my own Christian faith. Uh, I think the teachings of Christ, although they can't be applied directly in government, are basically the same principles that I followed when I took the oath of office to uphold the Constitution and laws of the United States. So there's no incompatibility. Uh, Christ is a prince of peace. And when I was president, I elevated keeping the peace to a top priority. And I think the uh, principle of justice 
and the principle of honoring the rights of uh, everyone equally and alleviating the plight of the poor at a disadvantage and the suffering. All of those are principles of our nation and also principles of, uh, of my faith. You and Mrs. Carter have traveled to more than 120 countries, including many of the very poorest. What key lessons have you learned in relation to successful global development? Well, it's not an accident that the countries that we visited have been mostly those where the people are poor and neglected and destitute and suffering or in need, because that's where we target our efforts at the Carter Center. And what I've learned, I think, more than I had ever known while I was in public office is the fact that the poorest of people whom we tend to underestimate are just as intelligent and just as hardworking and just as ambitious and have family values just as good as mine. And if they're given a chance to improve their own lot in life, they respond with enthusiasm and with great effectiveness. So I think the basic thing is, to summarize, that we, we underestimate the people that are already suffering and don't realize that if we just give them a chance, they can overcome the causes of their suffering as much as possible on their own initiative, just with a little help from outside. And what explains the very positive impacts of current development strategies in contrast to those of past generations? One of the main attractive features of a new effort is that it's a global commitment. Uh, almost every nation on Earth joined together in establishing the Millennium Development Goal. And this means that there's a concerted effort now with as much harmony as possible among the so-called donor groups uh, and a better understanding of the uh, genuine plight of the poorest people who are suffering and uh, that we can more wisely uh, provide the limited financial and other resources that we give to them uh, in an effective way. Sometimes as individuals, we feel uncertain as to how to get involved in major undertakings such as the Carter Center's global health efforts and the Millennium Development Goals. How can an average person help truly make a difference? Well, one way, obviously, is for us to contact our political leaders and just encourage them to elevate the, uh, the alleviation of suffering around the world to a higher position of importance than would ordinarily be considered. That's one way. Another one is in our own local communities to find ways to devote our resources, financial resources, and our time to alleviate the plight of the poor. In almost every community of a major nature in America, for instance, the Habitat for Humanity project going on. We can help for a few hours or maybe for a few days each year just building a home for in partnership with poor people. Another one is to find some organization in who in which you have confidence. The Carter Center would be just one of, of many, uh, like World Hunger or Catholic Relief Society or CARE or the Red Cross even, and uh, even either devote time or give a financial contribution uh, to those organizations that are already in existence and have proven that they are effective and that they use a, a financial contribution to a major degree of passing on the benefits of that contribution and not just for internal organizational costs. So in all these ways, I think that uh, average American or any, any other country can do tangible things. It just requires a willingness to devote our own time personally and our own financial resources to help others.
you mentioned writing a letter to your member of Congress. When you were president and governor, what impact did the communication of your constituents have on you? Uh, when I was in public office, the messages that I got from my constituents were a major uh, consideration in my decision-making process. Uh, sometimes when there was a crisis when I was president, I might get 30 or 40,000 letters or messages or just in one day on a matter of interest. And my staff would, would categorize the letters pro or con a particular decision I had to make. And I would pay close attention if there was a heavy uh, dominance of uh, one side or the other. I would say the most effective letters, though, were, were the ones that didn't come from any outside influence, like a prepared letter, but were handwritten letters, for instance, that came from a human being who had a, a heartfelt interest in a particular subject that I might have uh, inadvertently overlooked as a matter of importance. And to get three or four of those letters, say, from diverse people in the, in the United States uh, concerning an unaddressed or uh, previously ignored subject would focus the attention of a president of the United States or a governor of a state on that. And, and quite often, I would give a lot of attention to, say, collective letters from a group of students uh, in a high school or college or university. Uh, it's not easy for 20 or 30 students on a campus to get together and, and say, I'm going to write the president of the United States, and these are the uh, matters concerning, say, higher education that are very important to me. So I paid particular attention to those kinds of, uh, of uh, messages that came to me. So we can make a difference. Every person can make a difference, particularly in a democracy like ours. Mr. President, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, with some final words about our Faith in Global Hunger series. President Jimmy Carter's stirring message today brings our Day One Faith in Global Hunger series to a close, but the work is just beginning, and you can help. First, let's review some highlights of the series. Noted statesman, journalist, and educator Hodding Carter first presented the scope of the problem and how the Millennium Development Goals are addressing the need. Ours is a world of extraordinary abundance conjoined with abject poverty, an abundance of such magnitude that it could easily feed all those who share earth's air and water and land. This, there is no real argument. The responsibility for making good on the goals for ending poverty and hunger rests with governments, legally speaking. Real responsibility is ours, however, arising from the answer to all the familiar questions. Who is my neighbor? Am I my neighbor's keeper? Then in her message on the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the Reverend Dr. Barbara K. Lundblad exhorted us to heed the biblical call to serve the poor. Jesus didn't tell this parable to scare the hell out of us. Jesus told this parable to change the way we are living this side of heaven. We're feasting sumptuously, and Lazarus is still hungry. Of course, there isn't only one man named Lazarus. There are millions of men, women, and children who long for even a crumb that falls from our tables. Many of them are far beyond our gates or our front doors. We will never even know their names. In Part 3, the Reverend Dr. David Beckman, President of Bread for the World, shared specific ways to address the problem. All the nations of the world have agreed on what are called the Millennium Development Goals. 
These are specific targets to reduce hunger, poverty, and disease. And we've made some headway. Between 1990 and 2015, it's quite possible that the world will cut poverty in half. I've come to see this as a great exodus in our time, like the biblical exodus, but on an even larger scale, a much larger scale. This is God moving in our time. And in part four, Bishop Michael Curry issued a call to action, participation by people of faith in the work to abolish poverty and hunger through the accomplishment of the Millennium Development Goals. It's doing precisely that. It is witness, witness to the gospel, not a utopian fantasy or a vain hope. For if the nations of the world, religious communities, and peoples of the earth of goodwill would truly commit to using 0.7% of our financial resources to support international development, the numbers of people suffering because of hunger, poverty, disease, gender inequalities, and inequities in education and access to needed human resources, those numbers could be drastically reduced to the point that poverty itself would be on the endangered species list. Poverty, as U2's Bono often says, could become history. So, 10 years after the Millennium Declaration, significant progress has been made toward the realization of the Millennium Development Goals. Later this month, UN member nations convened to assess progress and accelerate achievement at the high-level MDG Review Summit. In view of global economic pressures, there's an even more urgent need to act now to encourage full funding of the MDG program. Here's how you can help. First, call or write your member of Congress and the White House to express your support of the Millennium Development Goals. As President Carter said, your personal communication can make a difference. Next, get your church involved in the Stand Up and Take Action movement involving a broad array of faith groups and churches. For information, visit endpoverty2015.org. Also, be sure to visit our special website at hunger.dayone.org for resources on the Millennium Development Goals and related action steps. You'll find a sample letter to Congress, links, and other materials to help you and your church as you explore the issues of faith, global hunger, and the MDGs. Finally, make this a matter of personal prayer and action. With two billion people in need, may God give us minds to think, hearts to love, and hands to serve with the compassion of Christ. Our speaker today was the 39th President of the United States, Jimmy Carter. His message in the Faith and Global Hunger series is entitled, A Joyful Resolve, Transforming the Lives of the World's Poorest. For a free transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1 or write Day 1, 644 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300, Atlanta, Georgia, 30308. To listen again to today's program or watch our video presentation featuring President Carter, visit us online at dayone.org. And remember, Day One depends on the financial gifts of faithful listeners like you. Thank you for your support. I'm Sherry Miller. Next week, we're delighted to have with us the Reverend Tom Brackett, 
Missioner for Church Planting and Ministry Redevelopment for the Episcopal Church Center. His sermon is entitled, Jesus the Rogue Rabbi. Please be sure to join us. Throughout our Faith and Global Hunger series, you've heard excerpts from a song composed and performed by the Reverend Brian Field McFarland, a Presbyterian minister, songwriter, and hunger action advocate. The song is part of a new CD entitled, Until All Are Fed, supporting the Millennium Development Goals through the Presbyterian Hunger Project. For more information, visit www.untilallarefed.net. Now, here's Brian Field McFarland and Jacobs Join with a song, Enough for Everyone. And the world would have us believe there's a scarcity.
Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. The Faith and Global Hunger Series is made possible by a grant from Charles Browning and Margaret Knorr, with research and assistance by Dr. Joseph Monnier. Visit our special website at hunger.dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Churches and Grand Lots with Daily Light for Daily Living. If you want to experience God, you must choose Him at all costs. You must be willing to do as Peter did in Matthew 14. Step out of the boat. Risk total failure in the eyes of others. Discover firsthand His power enabling you to walk on the water when Jesus bids you come. Again and again I've been confronted with hard choices when I've had to throw caution to the wind and abandon myself to faith in Him and Him alone. When I step into a pulpit, when I begin to write, when I commit this ministry to much more than we have resources to underwrite, whenever I choose to step out in obedient faith and trust him, I'm actually choosing to take him at his word. Listen to me. Put him to the test. Obey whatever he says. Do it. The results will be the thrilling adventure we call the Christian life. This is Anne Graham Lodge. My name is Vivian Moreno. I'm a mother, and this is how I live united. People in my community are struggling to make ends meet right now, and it concerns me. So I volunteer with United Way to help people get back their earned income tax credit. This is important to me because in the last seven years, it has helped put food on my table and pay my bills. I want everyone to have that same benefit. This year alone, I was able to help over 175 families get back over $243,000 in federal and state income tax. You should hear people when they find out. They say, oh, I'm going to buy a house, or I'm going to take my kids on a special trip. And I still feel like I get back more than I give just by volunteering. My name is Vivian Moreno. I help people achieve financial independence. So I don't just wear this shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Looking for a lift? Experience a seat from the soar with Michael Guido of Metter, Georgia. A London church bears this sign. Not everyone who attends this church is converted. Watch your handbags. Some church members profess one thing but practice another. But when one becomes a Christian, he never forgets the reverence due to God, the rights due to man, and the respect due to self. The Christian life is no mere church-going, hymn-singing, escape from the obligations of life. It's real, and it shows its influence in your life. The Bible, in describing a Christian, says he keeps his promise, even if it ruins him. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's Daily Devotional, Seeds from the Sore, write The Sore, Metter, Georgia, 30439. Visit us on the web at com. Hey, there's my son. You've been in your room all morning. Hey, Dad. Um, Matt, what's wrong with your voice? There is nothing wrong with my voice. Oh, well, it's just sort of... I have been playing my video games and electronic games for so many hours.
You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Yeah. 
brothers and sisters. I'm feeling real good, but it ain't over. Right before I die, I gotta be.
to die.
Minister Kenneth Jenkins. My name is Sue Smith. I'm 38 years old, and I work at a graphic design company, which is funny, because I couldn't even draw a stick figure when I was a kid. But I met someone who told me, you know what? You can do anything if you really want to. And if the teenage me were here, she'd tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for big brothers, big sisters. Most kids from my neighborhood don't get into art. They get into trouble. But I was lucky because my big sister showed me early on that I didn't have to be like most people. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this eight-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. And that can last a lifetime. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Larry was late for an interview. In his panic, he grew reckless. He put the pedal to the metal and rocketed down the highway in the wrong direction. Now Larry was more than late. He was late and lost. His speed only took him further from his appointment. This is Howard Butt, Jr. of Laity Lodge, and I've been on that road, lost, late, and reactive. We can't always control our circumstances, but the panic factor, that's up to us. The psalm that says God is our refuge and strength also says be still and know that he is God. The next time you're lost, in any sense, the best move may be to pause a moment and know God in the high calling of our daily work. For more information, visit ourdailywork.org. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross. Paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of sin, you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. 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 Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 